Well, good morning. How are you today? We discovered in Galatians that it is freedom for which Christ has set us free. Tie that in with what we've been reminding ourselves of, that God didn't bring us this far to just bring us this far. He didn't just set us free so that we could go back into bondage. He set us free in order that we can stay free. And we've realized later on in the latter part of Galatians, he tells us that. And then he tells us, well, how are we going to live without the rules? How are we going to live without the law? How are we going to live without a guidebook? How are we going to live without knowing whether or not we dotted every I and crossed every T? And repeatedly in Galatians 5, he refers to the Holy Spirit. He says, that's how you live free. That's how you live free from the law. That's how you live free from sin, by living in relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so we keyed off from there and began to look at some practical elements of what the Holy Spirit does when he lives in us and how he does and how he relates to us. The first one we talked about was the Holy Spirit being a comforter, and that's a biggie. One of the first things, it was, one, it was the first thing Jesus talked to the disciples about when he referenced him leaving. I'm not going to leave you without comfort. I'm going to leave you the comforter. He's going to be exactly like the one you have now. He's going to comfort you the way I comfort you. And that's important to understand. The Holy Spirit comforts us the same way Jesus comforts us. And I was, you know, in my get-through-it mind, I'm thinking, okay, you did that, now let's cover the next one. And then I had some people say to me, no, we need to camp right there about him being the comforter. And I asked the Lord about it, and that's whenever he gave me Luke 24, when he reminded me of that. And that was your homework last week, to look at Luke 24. Um, now, I was in home group Wednesday night, and we had a great discussion about Luke 24. And, I mean, they it was really, really good. They dissected every part of it. I mean, they saw things in there that I had not seen. And, and someone asked me, well, you're quiet. You haven't said anything. I said, well, I'm getting sermon material listening to you guys. And, boy, it was really good. But I, I want us, what I wanted to encourage them in looking at Luke 24 this time, and that's great. Well, there's a place to do that. I mean, there's a real place to do that. But what I want us to look at this morning is I want us to just kind of look at it with one thing in mind, and that is the relevance of it. How is it relevant to us? How can I find myself in this situation? What does it look like? And so that's kind of, we're not going to cover every verse of it. We're going to pull some out of there. But that's what I pray you grasp out of this is, is, is how relevant Jesus as the comforter was to these guys 
and how that is how he comforts us, okay? So we're going to start with a, a premise, and this is a, a statement that I, when I first shared about comfort, it was a statement towards, there were, they, Pam did the transcript, and there were nine pages, and so it was back toward the back, but, but this is kind of something that was pulled out of that that I hope you caught, and if you didn't, then we're going to cover it today. You got that, Karis? Okay. Much of the stress and discomfort we experience comes from thinking our life is going to play out a certain way. Or we think a certain relationship is going to look a certain way, and then it doesn't. Put the first one back up there. Much of stress and discomfort we experience comes from thinking our life is going to play out a certain way. And then it doesn't. Or we have a relationship, and we see this relationship, quote, going somewhere. Hopefully we're thinking it's going to go somewhere good. And so we look at this relationship and we see it playing out a certain way. And then it doesn't play out that way. Put the perfect back up there. Ponder this a minute, would you? Just think on that a minute. Is that relevant? Do you find yourself or have you found yourself anticipating life playing out a certain way? And it didn't. Do you find yourself stepping into relationships and looking for them to play out a certain way? And then it doesn't. What effect does that have on you? What effect did that have on you? What effect is it having on you now? What effect has that had in your life? With these guys, he says in verse 17, and they stood still looking sad. Sadness is one of the emotions that we embrace whenever we anticipate life playing out a certain way, and it doesn't. Sadness is one of those emotions that haunts us, when we look for a relationship to play out a certain way, and it doesn't. Sadness. What other emotions can you feel? Anger. Disappointment. Fear. Frustration, discouragement, none of those sound good. All of those things and more are emotions that we can experience whenever we, we just see life playing out a certain way, and, and then it doesn't. I remember when we first got married, Joni saw pastor's wife. And she saw that playing out a certain way. 
And it didn't take long for that to go south. And she came out on the porch one day in tears and said, can't you just be like everybody else? Fear. What is it going to look like? Relationships. We've all entered into relationships thinking, this is going to be good. This is how this is going to play out. And we see it in our mind taking a shape. How many of you are married? Didn't work out that way, did it? You know, they always say a woman marries a man hoping he'll change. A man marries a woman hoping she never changes. Well, guess what? So there's that relationship. Marriage is, oh, it's going to be marriage. And here's my white knight. And we don't understand how big a mess his white horse makes when we take him. That's the backdrop. That's the backstory for Luke 24. From the earliest age, these people were taught that the Messiah would come one day on the scene of life. And when he comes, life is going to play out a certain way. He's going to come with a strong military presence. He's going to solve all of our political problems. He will set up his kingdom above all other kingdoms. It'll be an everlasting kingdom. It'll be a kingdom that lasts forever. He's going to restore ownership to Israel, to all of the land that was stolen from them all the way back to 587 B.C. when Babylon captured it. He's going to deliver Israel from all oppression and lead us into a new golden age. Currently, Rome, being free from Rome. And then confusion set in. He talks about blessed are the meek. No, wait a minute. You got to be powerful and strong to beat these Romans. What's this meek business? Blessed are the peacemakers. We want you to declare war on these guys and overthrow their kingdom. Turn the other cheek. I don't think so. Love your enemies. Love them to death? No. This kingdom was supposed to be eternal. And he starts talking about dying. Starts talking about leaving. They were already jockeying for position in the coming kingdom. 
I love this. This is, this is just hilarious. Here is the guy you see is the king of kings, lord of lords, ruler of the world, eternal kingdom, conquer Rome. And you go to him and say, will you give me anything I want? Even take your mother to try to sway him. Will you give me anything I want? Well, what do you want? We want me to sit on the right side of the throne and my brother to sit on the left side of the throne whenever you set up your kingdom. Peter, think about this. This is his coming, this is his Messiah. This is his king, king. And he comes to him and rebukes him for talking about dying and leaving. When they were asked, who do they, who do you say that I am? Well, they tried to put it off on somebody else, but I think probably they were speaking for themselves. Well, you're Elijah, or you're John the Baptist, or you're Jeremiah. Unspoken is, you can't be the Messiah, because you're not fitting the bill. You're not filling out the plan here. They certainly had an idea of how life was going to play out. And then he died. You think that might have brought about mental or physical uneasiness in their heart? That's the definition of discomfort. Physical or mental uneasiness. They had it figured out. They had it planned. They knew what it was supposed to look like. And then he comes in and just messes up the whole thing. He dies. Little discomfort in their heart, in their life. Is this in any way relevant? How we see life, how we respond when it doesn't work out. We make plans, we set goals, we dream dreams, we make choices, we work hard, make decisions, all hoping for a desired outcome. Thinking. Life now will play out a certain way. We enter into relationships. We make ourselves vulnerable. We open up. We trust. We invest time, energy, and resources, hoping for a desired outcome, only to have to Return the wedding dress. Or have to chalk up what we thought was going to be a friend. Do you find that it causes mental or physical uneasiness? Discomfort. Were you in need of comfort in that time? Maybe going through it now. Are you in need of comfort? 
need to be comforted? Do you find yourself perplexed? In 24, Luke 24, verse 4, after Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Joanna and some other women went to the tomb, they found the body wasn't there. It says they were perplexed about this. That's a pretty strong word, perplexed. It means it is doubt amounting to despair. It it means to be without a way, without resources to deal with whatever. They looked at this and their response was, what do we do now? What do we do now? They were at a loss. They, they had made plans, like Steve said, they had made plans to come and anoint the body and do the next step in the burial procedure. We'd already dealt with the fact he's dead. Okay, he's not going to do what we expected him. And so now we're coming to anoint him, and now he's not here. Now what are we going to do? He keeps changing things. Mental or physical uneasiness. What do we do now? Perplexed means surprised and confused so much that you don't know what to do next. You've been perplexed in your scenario? This is where the disciples found themselves as do we, in genuine need of comfort. 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 To be free from vexation or doubt. Comfort. To be free from stress or tension. Wait a minute. Stress is my friend. I live with it all the time. Jesus has promised to come as the comforter. How does he do that? He does it, the Holy Spirit does it, the same way Jesus did. Right? And I want to show you two or three things out of here that I, uh, and I'm, I'm hoping are relevant. First of all, he comes alongside, look in Luke 24, 16. But their eye, okay, I didn't put that right. Uh, 24, 13, and behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they're talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. Remember the word he used for comforter? One who comes alongside. Here they were in distress. Jesus came alongside. They didn't recognize him. We're going to get to that in a minute. But how that is relevant to us, he doesn't have to come alongside. He is alongside. He is alongside of us. 
We don't have to call him down. We don't have to jump through hoops to get him here. He is already here walking with us. When we came up to this event and we came up to that discomfort, he didn't leave and say, beg me to come. He was there with us and was with us as we went through it and as we are going through it. But something happened. Luke 24, 16. Now we got it. But their eyes were holden, and they could not know him, that they should not know him. Now, let me explain something to you. The word holden, when's the last time you used the word holden? I mean, I never used that word. But here's what it means. It needs to be strong, to be mighty, to prevail, to hold fast. Jesus referred to it this way, that these Pharisees were holden to the traditions and teachings of man. They were holding fast to them. They were fixated on them. They were captured by them. In this context, these guys' eyes, they were, their attention, they were beholden something. They were holding on to something. They were focused on to something. And it kept them from recognizing who Jesus was in their midst. Listen, God wasn't preventing them from recognizing Jesus. Okay? That's important to understand. God wasn't preventing them from recognizing Jesus. They were so fixated on their perspective of their life that they missed him completely and didn't recognize who he was. They were distracted. Their awareness of their problem was greater than their awareness of his presence. Does that sound familiar? We get so fixed on our problem, so fixed on this broken thing that didn't further my idea of what my life was supposed to be, that the awareness of that problem is greater to us than the awareness of the Spirit of God who lives inside of me. And when that happens, I am now constantly aware I don't have the resources to deal with this issue. But if I am aware of him, then I realize in his presence, I have the resources to face this situation. And there's no discomfort or it's minimized. We don't have to cry out. God, where are you? As if he's abandoned us. He is with us. I don't know what your discomfort was, but I can tell you this. Jesus, in the person of the Holy Spirit, is right there in the middle of it with you. He is there. That's how Jesus handled it, and that's how the Holy Spirit handles it.
That's why Jesus said, I am sending you a comforter. Second thing is that happened is he allowed them to talk from their point of view. Knowing all along that they were missing the heart of God. Now that's interesting. You know, if we hear somebody talking about something, we don't we interrupt them. That's stupid. We don't want to hear that. Look in verse uh, 17. And he said to them, what are these things that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? They were already talking about it. We talk about what we're aware of. Well, I've learned that about having open meetings at church. I've learned that in home groups. You can teach, you can teach edicts from heaven. But if I'm not aware of what God's doing and I'm more aware of my issues, that's what I'm going to talk about. These guys weren't any different. What are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? Not understanding that the guy that you say you trusted and died has risen and is right here with you. What are these things you're talking about? And they came to a stop looking sad. What's the next one? another one? One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you possibly the only one living near Jerusalem who does not know about these things that happened here these days? Are you the only one that doesn't have our perspective? What's the next one? And he said to them, What sort of things? And they said to them, Now I want you to, I want you to take note of what these guys said. These things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, it's the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came, saying, that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of us who were here with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Now let me ask you something. What part of that is not accurate? None of it. It's all accurate. It's all factual. Everything they described is factual. But you know what? It didn't bring any comfort. They had all the information. They had correct information. It wasn't their facts. It wasn't lies that brought discomfort because they knew exactly what happened. Where they missed it is in the conclusion that they drew from those facts. 
their conclusion was we're without hope, what they said. And we were hoping, indicating we're not hoping anymore. Our hope has been shattered. Our hope has been gone. Resulting in them still being without hope. Sound familiar? We get all the facts correct, but we draw our own conclusions. And there's no comfort in our conclusion. Well, this is what that means. I am never going to get married. Nobody's ever going to like me. I'll never be able to accomplish anything. It's always our conclusions that get us in trouble that bring the discomfort. And then we have to deal with, do I want to be right or do I want to be comforted? They were right. Everything they said was right, but there was no comfort. Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted, not those who are right. We want to hold up, but I'm, they did this to me. You're right. You're right, they did. Is that bringing comfort to you? No. They, it just, it, it just, it, you're right. That's right. But it's not the facts. It's not what happened that brings discomfort. It's how we perceive what happened. It's the conclusions that we draw. Now, notice what Christ did. Christ shared God's perspective. Look in Luke 24, verse 25. Didn't get that one? Okay. Luke 24, verse 25 says this. Oh, foolish men and slow of heart. Now, some of us are thinking, that doesn't sound very comforting. Okay, calls them foolish men. But listen, in, in, this, in this language, the word fool doesn't mean idiot. doesn't mean you stupid person. It means you're, you, you don't have understanding. And he's saying to them, you don't have a proper understanding of this. To believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things, to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in Scripture. How did he comfort them? He didn't pat them on the back and say, don't worry, darling, everything will be okay. Because had they continued with the perspective that they had, things would not be okay. And he loved them not to re- enough not to reinforce that. Tell you what else he didn't do. He didn't change the circumstance. Oh, you're upset? Let me go back in the tomb. I'll be there for you to come wrap up and do all that stuff. Oh, you're still upset? Okay, I tell you what. Let's kill all the Romans. How's that? He did not change the circumstance. You know what changed? They did. Their heart changed. 
He gave them God's perspective of the events. But I want you to see something. Now catch this. It still did not bring comfort. Oh, it says, wasn't our hearts burning whenever he was reading all, telling us about all that stuff? How many times have we looked at Scripture and it just, oh, that's so wonderful, that's great, and we try to convince ourselves it's true and we still just don't have comfort in it. And we look up all of those verses on discomfort or we looked up all of those verses on this or all of these verses on that and we just continue to say them to ourselves and there's no comfort in that. Didn't bring comfort to them. It burned in their hearts. It rang true, but it still didn't bring comfort. They still didn't recognize him. Sounds like us whenever we're searching the Bible for comfort. Listen. I believe the Bible is the inspired, infallible, and errant word of God. I tell you what it is not. It is not our comforter. And we can read it and soak our mind in it and still be in distress. It is not. He didn't say, when I leave, I'm going to send you a book, and that's going to be your comfort. He said, I'm coming to live in you. I will be your comforter. And simply to pull out scriptures and simply to try to convince ourselves will not bring comfort to our life, to our soul. There's more. Well, what brought comfort? Well, look in verse 28. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though they were going. he was going further. They urged him, saying, Stay with us. It's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And it came about when he had reclined at the table with him that he took the bread and blessed it, and he broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. What does that meal represent? Fellowship. When we fellowshiped with Jesus, we saw who he was. We realized he had been in our presence all along. His perspective tied with fellowship with him. And in fellowship, when he draws us into fellowship, he aligns our heart. That's what fellowship is. He aligns my heart with his heart. Then there's comfort. But if I hold on to whatever it is I'm holding on to, being right, being sad, being disappointed, being angry, whatever I'm holding on to, and I'm not willing to say, I want you emptying my hands and embracing the comforter, that brings comfort. And he comes and he fellowships with me, and he allows me to express my heart as wrong as it is because he knows that's not my problem. My problem is I have embraced this perspective and because I am so consumed with this perspective, I am missing him and he lets me vent it and then he reveals his perspective to me and in fellowship with him, my heart 
is changed because he has comforted me. PJ nailed it. It's face to face. It's face to face. I might, he may use scripture. He may use another person. There's all kinds of things that he can use. But whenever he does it, it is because there has been an encounter with him. And look at the results in verse 50. He led them out as far as Bethany, lifted up their hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heavens. The very thing they feared. Look at their response. And they, after worshiping, returned to Jerusalem with... Just told us to do this stuff. Here's why he told us. I'm telling you these things that your joy might be complete and that my joy might be in you and make you full. It's not restrictive. It's not so that you'll be proven wrong. It's not so that he's on an ego trip. His heart is that we know joy. And that joy comes from embracing his perspective in fellowship with him. That's how it works. That's how he comforts. So as we look at this circumstance that we're in, we look at this this disappointment or we look at this uh, unfulfilled expectation or life doesn't plan out the way we think it does, I can know he's right here. He's right here. But if I get caught up with that, it will blind me to this. And I will not be comforted. I'll try to find comfort in changing the circumstance. I'll try to find comfort in getting out of the circumstance. I'll try to find comfort in numbing myself to the circumstance. I will try to find comfort in changing the person that brought the discomfort. All of those will cause more problems in my life than the original problem caused. Ever think about that? An alcoholic says, I'm going to drink to numb my problem. And then the alcohol becomes a bigger problem than the original problem. And that's true with everything. Eating, I'm going to eat and I'll feel better. Yeah, how's that work 40 pounds later? Now i got more problems than I had to begin with. I'd rather be skinny and have my problems than fat and have my problems. And think about it. What are we doing? You know, where are we going with this? He is the comforter, and he's there to bring a comfort that's inward, that's unshakable. He said, my peace I give to you, not I'll change everything and make you comfortable. I'll give you peace that will bring comfort to your soul. That's how the Holy Spirit does it. we have this tendency that we want comfort and our way. And he says, it's your way that's bringing discomfort. Let me comfort you. All right. Any questions, comments? What did you hear? Anybody? Um, so, like, one thing that stood out to me that you said 
um, like, kind of like the numbing thing. Um, I've tried, like, a lot of things to, like, make myself feel better about, like, certain things in my life that I just either I get, like, really upset over or I just, like, can't get over it. And I try to, like, do all these other things to, like, make myself feel better. But then, like, in the end, it just makes me feel worse about it. And I just, like, want to do it more and more. Um, But I never really thought, like, I never really um, turned, like, shifted my gears to, like, um, just listen to, like, what the Lord has to say about it or, like, let him comfort me about it. That's it. That's good. Because, see, then we got two problems. You know, when we solve it ourselves, we got two problems. The problem we had and the problem I created. All right, anyone else? We joked about it in home group, but I, the thing that I thought really connected was when we made the comment about how in Scripture, he gave them an explanation of what was happening. But the explanation didn't bring any comfort. Which answers the question of we always say, Lord, why, Lord, why, Lord, why? Even if he tells you why, it's not going to bring you comfort unless you allow him to be the comforter. Very good. Very good. We're always asking why. When he knows, if we knew why, it still wouldn't bring us comfort. Only his presence and fellowship with him brings comfort, Randy. Very good. I'm formulating my question here. Hold on. Um, Just make up a verse. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, so that your joy may be complete. And then you, you're saying also, um, we want comfort and our way. Mm -hmm. So, how does that, like, say I want my way about something and... Really, when I surrender my way or give him my heart about it, he'll make my heart the way his perspective, I guess. Give me his perspective about what I want. That's right. And and it totally changes what I want. Yeah, um, that's good. That gives me comfort. That's right. That's exactly right. I I answered my own question. (laughs) If we were honest, if we were honest, if we were honest, we would look back in our life and we would say, God, thank you for not answering that prayer. There are all kinds of things and we don't get. That was our way. And God said, no, I got something better for you. Do you want to be right or be comforted? Oh, Lord. I don't so much want to be right. My problem is I want to be recognized as right. <laughs> right. I already know I'm right. That's I just right. need you to get on board and, yeah. <clears throat> you, can see where, you can see where that goes. <laughs> so I, I talked with Micah earlier this week and just recognized something. We are, when we are in the middle of it, something that was revealed to me this week, when we are in the middle of it, it's hard to recognize that we might not be right. It's hard to recognize that somebody else may have a perspective that is broader than what we have and to be humble enough to go to them. 
or that this, this question is going to sit with me for a while. Do you want to be right mm-hmm. or to be comforted? It's just, just a, a posture of, of humility um, to, to, be able to, let, to be able to let that go and certainly to be able to let whether other people think I'm right. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not ever going to be comforted if that's my, if that's my heart posture. Because if my right prevails, I win. I won. We, we've got to, you know, if, you have, if you're having trouble with that, let me just, let's start here, okay? Would you be willing to agree that nobody is right 100% of the time? Okay, maybe this is one of those rare occasions where I'm not right. I mean, you start there. At least entertain the possibility that I'm not seeing this correctly. Start with what you got. All right, anyone else? Is it they didn't know what they wanted? Say that again. They did not know what they wanted. That's right. What they wanted is not what they wanted. <clears throat> and it's God comes to change us. And he comes to change what's in our hearts. What's in our hearts is what we want. And what we want is not right. Yeah. It's not his way. And they wanted victory. They wanted the Romans crushed. They wanted Jesus alive. They wanted Jesus with them. And it was all not what God wanted. Yeah. And so God wants to change what we want. That's right. And can we, can we go to God and say, God, what I want is not beneficial for me. It's not beneficial for my family. It's not beneficial for the fullness of life that you want for me. Lord, I need you. I need to meet with you so that you will change what I want. And then... He meets with us, and we're changed, and we no longer want, to a degree, the Romans to be crushed. We no longer want, we're, we're grieved that he's gone, but now he's with us. Now I can walk in this joy that I'm not dependent on the circumstances. So they did not know what they want. That's right. You, you don't really know what you want. You think you want this, but you don't. That's right. Ask him, Father, come change my heart. Give me what you want me to want. That's right. If you ever had kids, you know that's absolutely true. They don't know what they want. We don't either. All right, uh, Alex. Um, just reflecting on how it was practical in my life, um, I think sometimes it, it just, like I said, popped up. Um, we want something that you would think would be good. You know, that's the part where I'm like, I'm going to do this unto the Lord, you know, and uh, if it's not the Lord's heart in the matter, and it's still just your will, even if it looks good and it's religious and it's all that, um, it's not going to bring the comforter. That's right. Um, and I remember trying to do it in my own way, you know, and uh, the Lord taking me back there. I was like, let's, let's pick up where, where you, you ripped off from me and heal these wounds. So it was really cool. That's good. Listen, did it ever occur to you? That nothing ever occurred to God? God never listened to our plans and it just occurred to him. That's a good idea. I think we'll do that. Nothing ever occurred to him. He knows. 
and he wants what's best for us.